0: So this morning the reading is the whole of Acts, chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad, and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope, because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence." God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are afar off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching they brought bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved.
1: Uh, So my name's Aaron for those who haven't uh, met me yet. um, I am a regular here to the 10.30 service with my wife, uh, Susanna and my 12-week-old son, Miles. Um, uh, we've been, we absolutely have uh, loved getting to know some of you guys. And, uh, but we are heading off to the Tonsley church plant um, in a few weeks' time. So, uh, which seems like a few weeks' time, but yeah, in February. So it's going to come up really, really uh, uh, quickly, I think. Um, I grew up in a strong Christian family. My dad was a pastor. I knew the I knew the Bible was expected as a pastor's kid. Um, I'd behave like a Christian kid should, and I did so because it was my dad's job on the line. If I didn't, I loved my dad, but I uh, I, lo- I loved my dad, but I didn't love Jesus. I uh, knew a lot about Jesus, but I didn't, didn't know Jesus. I was extremely cynical of any so-called work of the, the spirit. and If it didn't fit my neatly into my cognitive headspace, then I would push back. I'd seen friends respond in faith uh, only to walk away. This hardened my heart. Until one day, I was in my early 20s. I was invited to a youth camp. And for two days, I listened to the speaker, but he was pretty boring. And I wasn't that interested. And I said in the morning service, this isn't in my notes, but I was probably there chasing girls, let's be honest. Uh, The speaker would routinely call for people to respond to the gospel however they felt, whether it was kneeling or praying or crying or coming down the front or whatever it was uh, they wanted to do. And I remember being extremely cynical at this, laughing it off as fake. Um... It can't be a work of God. It was just the soft music playing in the background that stirred them up. And, but whatever it was, I hardened my heart further. The last night the speaker did it again and no one responded except for me. I walked down the front in tears. I knew this wasn't normal for me, but I was fully prepared to see if this might be of God. And it was. I gave my life to Jesus that night and I haven't looked back. Acts chapter 2 was about the coming of the Holy Spirit to empower people on mission with sharing the gospel to the ends of the earth and seeing lives change for the glory of God. Seeing lives changed like mine that night. Seeing lives changed like you. Seeing lives changed like your workmate that you're sharing the gospel with seeing lives changed like you're that loved family member. Maybe you've got children that are growing up, seeing their lives changed. Acts chapter 2 is the origin story or the birth of the church and thousands of lives changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. So if you have your Bibles with you or the pamphlet or you've memorized it, turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Luke wisely preached last week um, from the book of Acts and essentially uh, in chapter 1, Jesus told the disciples to don't depart Jerusalem but wait for the Spirit that would come and empower them to be his witnesses and spread the gospel all over the world. So they're waiting and they're praying. And then verse 1 of chapter 2 happens. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. So Pentecost literally means 50, and it's 50 days after the Passover. It was a festival. It was a feast in which people were required to go up to Jerusalem. And uh, the point here is that, that the people from all over the world, and the place would be absolutely buzzing uh, right now, and they're waiting and they're praying. There's probably Silence. And then two and three happens. Verses two and three. Suddenly, a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. What an amazing moment to be a part of! You can just imagine. And the Spirit just comes. You you can just. I wouldn't know how to respond. The wind and fire are very common depictions of God's presence uh, throughout the Bible. The point is the Holy Spirit has come. The Holy Spirit's present. Look at verse 4. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. We'll see why tongues are important in a minute in the context. But I want you to notice the end of verse 4. As the Spirit enabled them. It's worth noting that they were utterly dependent on the Holy Spirit's enabling, and so are we. Paul Tripp, one of my favourite authors, says this, if there was any ability in us to defeat evil, then Jesus would never have needed to come. The cross argues our hopelessness. The cross argues our helplessness. And the coming of the Holy Spirit argues the exact same thing. There's no better way to demonstrate dependence on God than maybe finding times throughout our day to stop and pray for the Holy Spirit's enabling. Look at verses 5 and 6. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. So people from all over the world are staying in Jerusalem for this festival and they must have heard this thunderstorm sort of like sound and they came running to check it out. And they're dumbfounded because they can hear people who shouldn't be able to speak their language speaking their language. Look what they say in verses 7 and 8. Utterly amazed, they asked aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Just a side point, everyone in Jerusalem thought Galileans were uneducated, they were uncouth, they were country bumpkins. Um, And when a Galilean would normally speak, they'd shake their heads and think, oh my goodness, so dumb. Uh, For those of us who feel like Galileans at times, uh, it's worth noting that the Holy Spirit doesn't just work through the good-looking and the talented like Cam and Kelly, uh, but can talk through donkeys like me or the rest of us. Um, be encouraged to let the Holy Spirit use you because he can use anyone, can't he? If you're willing and available. Verses 9 to 11, the, uh, Luke, the author here, slows down and names multiple nationalities. He spends a bit of time doing so. But I think the point is that the Spirit has come and it's taken over and pushing them out to the nations by taking control of their tongues. What we get is a display of the Holy Spirit's intention of reaching out to the ends of the earth. This is a picture of God sovereignly on the move to the nations. And what is it that they hear? Look at verse 11. Um, We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. They hear the wonders of God. But it's in a language that they understand. It's their home language. It's their personal language. Doesn't this show something about our God? Meeting people where they are? Acts 2 is really a reversal of what happened at the Tower of Babel. The Holy Spirit is now unifying people from every language as a new family, not having language drive them apart. And it's the start of what it will look like in Revelation where we see every nation and tongue dwelling together, giving witness to the glory of God. This is one reason why we are committed to church planting, to bring, the, to bring the gospel to those we haven't met yet and unifying all people as one family of God. Isn't it interesting that so often we make the Spirit who brings people together into the church a divisive element? Look at verses 12 to 13. Comes their question, their response. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, What does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. What does this mean? That's a good question. But is it the most important question? Others just made fun of them. They must be drunk. Here we have devoutly religious Jews and others converted to Judaism who no doubt read their scriptures. I'm sure they did. But they're blind and they don't understand. And what we get next is Peter's explanation. He doesn't avoid their question. He's not going to blow it off. He answers it for them. Pick up in verses 14. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. Now, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Peter says, they're not drunk. It's early in the morning. The pubs probably aren't open yet. But if you knew your scriptures, you should know what this means. Part of Peter's argument is that we shouldn't be surprised at this event because it was prophesied to happen by Joel. This is the Spirit of God coming to earth moment that you have all been waiting for. And it's showing you that we're in the last days that Jesus spoke of that you probably heard just a few days ago. We're living in the last days and our mission our mission is to get the gospel out while there's still time, while there's still hope for the rejectors, while there's still hope for those who can't see yet, and while there's still hope for those who are asking the question, what does this mean? Verses 21, I think, is the important verse for Peter. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How encouraging is that? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Yes, we're in the last days, but be encouraged, there's still hope for anyone. There's hope for those who physically killed Jesus here. There's hope for you. There's hope for anyone. Acts 2 doesn't mention who, but I'm sure some of the people in verses 12 to 13 are amongst the group in verse 37. That transition from asking, what does this mean? Or blatant mocking to, what must I do with Jesus? We'll get to that in a minute. But this is why we're committed to church planting. We're committed to getting the gospel out to the ends of the earth while there's still hope, Why there's still time. Peter says, don't be surprised about this. It was prophesied to happen. And it's pointing to the fact that we're in the end times. And I think Peter realizes that the crowds that are asking these questions are mocking. They need more than an explanation. What does Peter do? Where does Peter take them? Peter has answered the question. Like I said, he didn't blow it off. But he knows there's a far greater question, a more important question that they need to be asking. And what he does, and we'll see it in a minute, is he takes them to the only person who can heal their blindness. What these people need most isn't an explanation, but to see Jesus. They need to be confronted with the truth of Jesus, his death, his resurrection, and his exaltation as Lord and Messiah. They need to be asking the question, what does this mean? Not what does this mean, but what must I do? With Jesus, Have a look at 22 to 24. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him. They should have seen this. As you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Peter is saying, the reason you don't understand what's going on is because there was a man named Jesus of Nazareth, God himself, our Lord, And this man, Jesus, was proving time and time again uh, that he was the Messiah. And he was doing it through the same kinds of signs and wonders that you're experiencing now. And when he was given to you, what did you do? You killed him. You and your blindness and hardness of heart murdered the only person who could save you. You missed seeing Jesus for who he was, it's no wonder you missed the coming of the Holy Spirit he promised to send. Jesus said he would send it. Him, sorry. Peter balances perfectly the participants in the drama of Jesus' death here. The guilt of Jew and Gentile alike and the triumphant sovereignty of God. God's plan is on course. But I want you to notice the emphasis in 23 and 24. It's you killed but God raised God validated this man Jesus as the son of God, God's chosen Messiah by raising him from the dead. We don't have time to look at it in in detail, but verses 25 to 35, he essentially says even King David spoke of the resurrection of Jesus and put his hope in that. But verse 36 comes the climax of his sermon. Have a look with me. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. He wants them to get it. I want you to be sure of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Jesus was the one who could deliver you from your sins. He's the promised Messiah. He's also Lord, the one with all authority with all power, who will also be judge for those who don't love him. Peter's sermon leads to this. The most important question you need to ask is not what does this mean? The most important question you need to ask is what must I do with Jesus, the one you nailed to a tree? Verse 37, have a look at their response. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? You, just, you can feel the tension, can't you? What should we do? These people were confronted with Jesus. They knew they had business to do with Jesus. All of a, stu- all of a sudden, they're not stuck trying to rationalise the miracle they just saw at Pentecost anymore. They're drawn into someone far more captivating. His name is Jesus. The coming of the Holy Spirit was never meant to draw all the attention. It was meant to point people to Jesus. The coming of the Holy Spirit was never meant to draw all the attention. It was meant to point people to Jesus. When you hear the story of Jesus, what do you feel? How do you respond? Is he special to you? Can you see him? I love this old hymn, and it was in fact, it was one that my grandfather used to sing, and it goes like this: "Tell me the story of Jesus. Write on my heart every word. Tell me the story most precious, sweetest that ever was heard. Tell of the cross where they nailed him, writhing in anguish and pain. Tell of the grave where they laid him. Tell how He liveth again. Love in that story so tender, clearer than ever I see. Stay, let me weep while you whisper. Love paid the ransom for me. What amazing words. We've all nailed Jesus to the cross. It was our sin, it was my sin, it was your sin that put Jesus to death. Jesus went through agony on the cross so you didn't have to go through that agony yourself. There is no greater reality and truth than this. Jesus came to this world to die and pay the penalty for sinners like you and me so that for those who believe, there is now no condemnation but eternal joy. What amazing truth. If you're just checking out who Jesus is today, let me tell you, Jesus is not only the answer you're looking for, but he's the most precious friend you could ever have. And he's offering you forgiveness of sins. And he'll work a miracle in your life if you turn to him. What are you going to do with Jesus? For the rest of us, if you can see Jesus for who he is, what are you going to do with him? Does the truth of Jesus take your heart and does it rip it open? Because it should. should. Or do you call us up and move on? If you've never been cut to the heart by your own sin, by your own brokenness, then, friends, you may not know Jesus. You should be asking the question what shall I do with Jesus? This may be the most important question you ever ask. And how you respond will have eternal ramifications. Look at verses 38 and 39. Peter's going to answer their second uh, question. Repent and be baptized, Peter replied, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you, it's for your children and for all those who are far off. For all whom the Lord our God will call. We should repent from our sin, seek forgiveness, pursue Jesus. We should turn away from what we've been doing and from who we used to be. This is where it gets really practical for us, folks. What is repentance? Repentance is more than a mere sorrow for sin. It's a, it's a change of mind, heart and actions. It's like a complete 360 uh, degrees 180 sorry turning away I'll get my numbers correct you can tell I'm not a mathematician my father-in-law is an engineer and he would be all over uh, that but it's a complete turning away from, from, from sin and a life dedicated towards God for those who trust in Jesus repentance is now a daily lifestyle This is something that we should be doing every single day of our lives. Look at verse 40. With many other words he warned them and pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Stop following the crowd. Stop loving what they love. Aren't we so entrapped with what the world wants sometimes? We can be so entrapped. Where are we at with this, folks? Where are we at with this? The thrust of the passage is this. The Holy Spirit is on the move to the ends of the earth. Life is being offered. God's presence is being gifted to you right now, even now. And are you going to take it? Friends, have you ever had your heart cut open? Has the word of God ever pierced through? If you're a Christian here today, maybe it's been a long, long time since that last happened. And I want to encourage you, do what these people did. Repent of that. If you've fallen into the belief that I go to church, I read my Bible enough, I do all these things and have passively approached the gospel today, then you need to repent. The appropriate response to Pentecost is repent And believe in Jesus. Pentecost was about seeing, was about empowering people for this end. Seeing lives changed. Seeing our lives changed. Seeing my life changed. At Pentecost the Holy Spirit empowered people to be on mission with seeing lives changed to the ends of the earth. A life in pursuit of Jesus should bring change for us. What do you think it would look like in our community? What do you think it would look like if the Holy Spirit were to come and work in our midst? What would the fruit of repentance look like in your life? Have a look at verses 42 to 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. These people who were confronted with the truth devoted their lives to the truth. And this repentance and devotion brought an amazing spirit-infused community in the salvation of souls. When Aubrey wisely found out that Susanna was in need of maternity clothes, we were given a full box of clothes. I didn't mean to pick you out there, Aubrey. When we were new to this church, Matt and Esther Johnson, I don't know if the Johnson family are here, I can see one of them there, but when we were new to this church, we'd only been a couple of weeks, Matt and sister Johnson invited us around for breakfast and welcomed us in before a Sunday uh, service. I could share many more stories like this. But what a wonderful display of the Holy Spirit's work in his community with generosity and hospitality and a picture of people turning away from self and towards Jesus. What area in your life do you need to let repentance have its full effect? A good place to start is maybe maybe pulling apart Galatians five twenty-two to 26. You can write that down. We're not going to look at it. But pick a fruit of the Spirit. Maybe it's joy. Maybe you've been increasingly pessimistic and negative lately. I know I have been. I need to repent of that. We need maybe we need to repent of that. And let the choice and make the choice to let people see contentedness and the joy of knowing Jesus in any circumstance. This is the kind of effect we should be seeing. But it's only truly going to come from people empowered by the spirit and in love with Jesus. Verse 41 to 47 has an inclusio around it or or a frame of this section and you can see it with the repetition of the words added. And what we get is a picture of the Holy Spirit's mission in adding people to the church whose lives have been transformed. And our mission is to be a part of that. Acts 2 is about the birth and empowering of the church tasked with spreading the gospel to the ends of the earth. Be encouraged, friends, be encouraged that Jesus has sent his Holy Spirit to empower the mission and realize that we're in the last days. But more importantly, people need to see Jesus. We need to see Jesus every day. Let your response to Jesus be a turning away from sin. A repentance that leads to lives transformed for the glory of God. Why don't we pray? Dear God, we're so thankful that your word is sharper than any sword known to man and that your word can cut open and it can pierce through to where we need it most. God, I pray that your word will do that this morning. God, we're so thankful that you have not left us alone, that you have given us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that can empower our words, our tongues, and can enable us to share the gospel to people but it's this same Holy Spirit that also can empower us and see our lives transformed from who we used to be, those people who loved sin to now people who love Jesus. God, we just ask that we see that work today. In your name, amen.